0: Hello and welcome to the Pondering Scripture podcast, where we'll open God's Word and let Him guide our lives. I'm your host, Jeremiah Cox. On this episode of Pondering Scripture, we intend to conclude our discussion of profitable paradoxes. We will be in verse 10, looking at the last two of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is defending his ministry as an apostle. He ends these lists of paradoxes. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. He says he's poor, yet making many rich. I want us to consider, firstly, the fact of Paul's ministry as an apostle. That he certainly was one who went without. Now, we don't know for sure how his life was financially before he became an apostle, but when you think about the pattern of the New Testament in regard to how those Jewish rulers and spiritual leaders were, many times they were well-off financially. Sometimes, obviously, that was because they were extortioners, and they were dishonest, and they gained their wealth through sinful means and Paul was certainly an individual who was trying to please the Lord in all that he did, and he was an honest person, so it'd be hard to believe that he had amassed any wealth in that way, but with that being said, it's possible that he had some kind of wealth before he became a Christian. Now, obviously, that's just speculation, but just think of all that he left to follow Christ in Philippians 3, and I imagine that following Christ as he did in the called to apostleship that he was given certainly included going without financially and in other aspects in regard to material wealth and certainly he was rightly described as poor in second corinthians 6 and verse 10 along with the other apostles in first corinthians chapter 4 this is a passage we've looked at a couple of times through these studies but in first corinthians chapter 4 the apostle paul is using irony to ultimately rebuke the people in the Corinthian church who were being um, puffed up on behalf of one against the other. They were following certain teachers and preachers instead of just following Christ and recognizing them as they are as ministers. They were saying, I'm a Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Christ, so on and so forth. And in that, they were boasting um, among each other, and they were acting as if, They were better off than other Christians in that particular congregation. And really not even just that, but they were acting as if they were better off than the apostles. So in irony, the apostle Paul says in verse 8, You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. So without even the apostles of the Lord, he's suggesting. So to go on and show that it is... Ridiculous for the Corinthians to act as if they were reigning as kings, even though the apostles were not even in that position. He goes on to describe his ministry and that of the other apostles and how lowly it was among the people. In verse 11, he says, To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands being reviled, we blessed, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. He hungers, he thirsts, poorly clothed, he's homeless. This describes one in poverty, and it is not because he had no skill or had no ability to provide for himself and perhaps go on into the business world and really make a name for himself. But it was because of his decision to follow Christ and even more than that, his decision to submit to the call of being an apostle of Christ, which was a life of travel. It was a life of self-sacrifice. It was a life of going without. In 2 Corinthians 11, in a similar Context of irony, yet this time directed toward the false apostles, the apostle Paul said that he was in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often and cold and nakedness. He was quite obviously one rightly described as poor, maybe not just financially or materially, but poor even in his his health and his his manner of living. He did not have a life devoid of trouble. He did not have a life that was luxurious, but the exact opposite. And it's quite obvious that that was because of the nature of apostleship. Going and preaching a message that really the majority of people didn't want to hear, being willing to go without so that Christ is glorified, being willing to not have any place to lay his head. That's something that Jesus calls all Christians to, understanding that he had no place to lay his head. In other words, his his home is not here. And so we need to recognize that as well. But even more so was that true with the apostles. So where I'm speaking in this podcast and in my house and comfort, that's not something the apostle Paul had. He had no home of permanence. And he was traveling about all the time preaching the gospel. And so he was poor, yet, of course, he says, making many rich. We'll get to that in a second. I want to stress, though, that this is not what Albert Barnes says it is. In his commentary, he says, There is as little doubt that the mass of ministers are still poor and that God designs and desires that they should be. It is in such circumstances that he designs they should illustrate the beauty and sustaining power of religion and be examples to the world. I don't agree with that. Some do have this idea that if you're going to be a preacher, if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, full-time I guess we could describe, then you're going to be poor. And, and it's right that you're poor. That's God's will that preachers don't have money. And that is behind a facade, those who say that and think that, it's behind this facade of almost humility and spiritual wealth and spiritual principles. But that's not at all what the gospel speaks about. Not only does the gospel say just because you're rich doesn't mean anything, that you're not better off rich, but it also never says that just because you're poor, you're somehow spiritually wealthy or you're somehow better off spiritually. When the Bible talks about money, there's no inherent good nor inherent evil in it. And so to have a lot does not mean that you're wrong, and to have very little does not mean that you're right. Rich people can be covetous. They can be lovers of money and go to any length that contradicts all moral principles in the gospel to gain and amass more and more wealth. But you know what? Those who are poor... Can be just as covetous. They can be just as in love with money as some who are rich. The Bible is very clear that there were rich and poor Christians, and while the rich have a little bit more in a different way of, of struggle in regard to spiritual things, they've got things that can distract them more, though they can be a master of their wealth instead of their wealth being a master of them, and the rich have this disposition naturally through having nothing to be more susceptible to hearing the gospel with with ears which are receptive to the truth, that is by no means a suggestion that the poor are better than the rich just because they have less money. And that is not what the Apostle Paul was saying here. It may have been God's design for the apostles to be as we alluded to in another podcast from 2 Corinthians 4, 7, having the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not them. That's very true. But that does not mean that it's God's will to have anybody that is a preacher of the gospel, a teacher of the gospel, full-time we might add, be poor. There's nothing in that. That is of any inherent virtue. Consider what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 when he is discussing ultimately his willingness to forego the liberty of being supported by the Corinthians so that he wouldn't hinder the gospel because it would have been a problem with them. In 1 Corinthians 9:11 he says, "If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded those that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. A preacher has the right to receive wages for his work. And when you think about how wages work, those occupations in society that are more important than others, maybe they're indispensable, maybe they're necessities, are oftentimes, those people are compensated in regard to the importance of the work that they're doing. So that's why doctors make so much money, because their work is so important and special. Now, I'm not saying that preachers should be rolling in the dough. Don't get me wrong. Understand that I don't think that I'm underpaid. I don't think that A lot of preachers think that they're underpaid, although it may be so. That's not what I'm saying, though. What I'm saying is if we're going to be consistent and we're thinking that a worker is worthy of his wages and his wages that he's worthy of are in proportion to the importance of his task and service, then gospel preachers and evangelists and and like the apostles, well, they are performing a great and important service, the most important one in the entire world. And surely they should be compensated for such. God never intended for us to come away with the idea that if you're a preacher, if you're ministering in the gospel, then you need to be poor. And if you're not poor, then then you're doing it wrong and shame on you. That is not what the New Testament says. And rather, those who preach the gospel, should live from the gospel. Now here's a question. You go to work and you make your living, but what is a living to you? What does it involve? Does that mean you're barely scraping by every single month? I think it's quite obvious that's not the case. It may be the current situation you're in, but that's not by design. That's not what it means to make a living, is to barely scrape by. It it means to be able to provide for yourself and your family in a way that makes you comfortable and happy. And we all would agree with that. So if preachers should live from the gospel, doesn't that mean that it they should be living comfortably? It's not and like I said, it's not that it's going to happen every time perfectly, but just understand this that a preacher is not a better preacher because he's barely scraping by every month. And a preacher is not A worse preacher, if he's making a good living, if the congregation he's working for and working with, rather, is able to support him a good amount, a worker is worthy of his wages. And you know, we even understand this with Christians, and let me just add that if preachers are supposed to be poor because they're working in the gospel, well, what about all Christians? Are all Christians supposed to be living that way, paycheck to paycheck, just because they're Christians? That's not the point of the gospel, in First Corinthians 6 and verse 6, it says godliness with contentment is great gain. That's certainly true. It says those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But then he goes on in verse 17 to say, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And he's writing to Christians, and while he's given that instruction, we know that Christians who were rich in the first century could have been doing those very things, and they were commanded to do those things. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you're a worse Christian, and just because you're poor doesn't mean you're any better than those Christians who are rich. But the focus and dedication, rather, is on spiritual matters, and the person Who is laying up treasures in heaven is the one that is going to be certainly right with God. But he says, as poor, yet making many rich. How is that the case? You know, it's quite obvious because their riches were spiritual, that was their focus, that was the content of their life. I think we all understand and appreciate and agree with the words that Jesus himself said. As Paul recounted in Acts 20 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think all Christians want to be willing to give. They want to be willing to bless somebody. They want to be giving and altruistic. But sometimes we we are given pause and we wonder, how are we going to be that way? I don't I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. How can how can I be that way? How can I be liberal and giving and and doing these things? And understand that. The Lord is pleased just like with the widow who gave her two mites. If we have something to give, no matter how little it is, the giving and the heart of the giving is the importance. So we never need to forget that. But Paul was saying he's poor, yet he was making many rich. And that doesn't work if he's talking about physically. If you are poor physically and you're making many rich physically, that's an impossibility. But I want to consider what he's saying. He's poor physically, yet he's making many rich spiritually. And it's because he has spiritual treasure. We possess far greater things to bless people with than material wealth. And we need to understand that. In Acts 8, verse 4, after the Christians were persecuted, they were scattered about, and they went everywhere preaching the word. You see, their goods were plundered. They were forced out of their homes. They had nothing. They scattered about, though, making many rich by preaching the gospel. We remember Jesus with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, when he asked her for a drink, he then said in verse 10 of John 4, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Likewise, in chapter 6, when he fed the 5,000 plus with five loaves of bread and two fish and they found him again wanting that bread, he says, most assuredly I say to you in John six twenty six, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on Him. You know, Jesus, of all people, if it was His duty and it was most important to rid the world of hunger and thirst, He could have done it easily, in a blink of an eye. Yet He never did. Because, What he wanted to make many rich with was the gospel and salvation. In Matthew 28, after stating his authority in verse 18, Jesus said, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is what we're commanded to do. Here's a question. Do we have the desire of Paul... Remember in Acts 26 when he was recounting his conversion and therefore preaching the gospel, and Agrippa said in verse 28, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Remember what Paul said? I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. He was saying, while in chains, I'm rich. And I want everyone to be like I am. I want everyone to have the riches I have. I want everyone to have salvation and fellowship with God. What we need to do is continue to have the proper estimation of our lives, whether rich or poor, as physical individuals. That if we're rich, really we don't have anything. If we're poor, really we're no different than those who may have a lot of things physically. But if we're Christians... We have a lot, and we have a lot to give. In James 2 and verse 5, James writes, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Anybody can be rich in faith if they turn to God in faith. You know, he adds to this, and it kind of overlaps, but he says, as poor, yet making many rich, and then he says, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. So, he has nothing. He's poor. But as I mentioned before, that's an estimation we all need to have of ourselves. First Timothy 6 and verse 7 says, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I don't care if you're the richest person in the world. You don't have anything. Not physically. Because when all of these things are burned up and dissolves or when you return to the grave, then how much of it will you have? You won't have any of it. Solomon sought for contentment and happiness in Ecclesiastes. And in chapter two and verse 10, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. We need to have that estimation. Really, no matter how much we have, we have nothing. We have nothing. In Psalm 50, the psalmist addressed the concept of the sacrificial system under the Old Testament to eradicate any misconceptions of it. And in verse 8, God says, I'm not going to rebuke you for your sacrifices. He's not going to rebuke them for something he told them to do. But then he goes on to really illustrate that you need to have the proper mindset of it. You're not offering me these things because I don't have anything, and you do, and you need to give me what I need. He says, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your fields. Psalm 50.10 For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Really, everything we have, it actually belongs to God. We have nothing. Everyone has nothing. Yet Christians possess all things. How? Because they possess the eternal blessings and treasures God offers. Matthew 5, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaches the Beatitudes, or so we call them. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this whole concept of being blessed means you possess great things. And it's really a blessedness of your condition before God. Christians are blessed. And it's because, as Jesus mentioned in Matthew 6, encouraging the brethren... They have laid up treasures, not on earth, where moth and rust and destroy and thieves break in and steal, but they have amassed spiritual treasures in heaven because that's where their heart is. You know, this is why the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. It's because maybe he was poor, maybe he did not have anything, yet he possessed all things to the extent that he was able to make many rich rich in faith rich in spiritual treasure he said in philippians 4:10 that he rejoiced in the lord greatly that the philippians care for him had flourished though they lacked opportunity lack, didn't lack care or they, they did care but they lacked opportunity But he elaborates, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be full and hungry, but to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, if I'm poor, if I don't have anything, well, I know how to act in that circumstance. If I'm rich, if I have everything, I know how to act in that circumstance. I'm content and I'm content because of the blessings in Christ. He strengthens me through the gospel and all the promises, and we need to have that contentment. We may have nothing, but we got to understand that in the grand scheme of things, we really do possess all things, because in the end, nothing physical will exist. It'll all be melted away, burned away, burned up, but the spiritual treasures are those which endure for eternity. I hope this study of the profitable paradoxes has been profitable to you, has been beneficial to you. It certainly has for me. That would conclude this episode. It does conclude our discussion of that topic, profitable paradoxes in 2 Corinthians 6. And we're going to next week pick up where we left off in James. That'll be with chapter 3, where we know it speaks of teachers, it speaks of the tongue, it speaks of wisdom. And I hope that you're there for, for that next week. And I hope that you do have. Thank you for listening to this edition of Pondering Scripture. It may be that you have some questions or comments. If so, don't hesitate to email me at jeremiahstancox@gmail.com at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day.